Oh, that is so good. Thank you, Maggie. Uh, that sets the stage perfectly for our worship this morning, looking into God's holy word. And uh, what a joy it is to worship with you here at Orangewood today through this video means, and one day soon we'll be back together again. But did you notice how the focus of the worship and Maggie's message uh, ele elevates God? Today, we are going to be talking about how our great God is the one undisputed ruler of the world. And as we look into God's holy word, you might remember um, a series that we did uh, several months ago now, uh, and we talked about the attributes of God. And in the attributes of God, we talked about how easy it is for us to say about a particular event, oh, that's awesome. Well, we saw in the study of the attributes of God that there is only one God, one person who is truly awe-inspiring. And that is our great God for whom there is 10,000 reasons and more to give him praise and honor and glory. So this morning, we're going to look at how God humbled and used his power to humble the most powerful king in the ancient world. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer and talk to God before we look into his holy word. Our great God, we do come before you this morning and what a privilege it is to worship you. As we just heard in Maggie's message to us, Lord, we humble ourselves before you, for you are the only one worth the glory and the honor and the praise. You are the supreme king of heaven and earth, and no one surpasses you in power, in might, in knowledge, and in goodness, and kindness, and mercy, and love. And so with all that you are, we come before you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we ask that as we come into your presence, our weakness would be made strong. Lord, we do feel weak. We confess our sins. We're weak uh, spiritually, morally. During this time of transition, Lord, often we feel, what's next? What's coming? But we know you're in charge. And we pray that you would strengthen our faith as we look into your word. Lord, we thank you for the students that have graduated from Orangewood School. We thank you for the many posters that line the entryway to this church facility. What a, what a joy it is to see the progress that is being made in their lives. And so we commit them to you at this time. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray for the one who teaches, that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. We've come into this place to see Jesus and want to focus upon him, for we pray in his holy name. Amen. Well, what a privilege it is to look into uh, Daniel today as we continue our study in that great Old Testament prophecy uh, written by Daniel. But before we do that, I want to get personal real quick and ask you a question. All right, what makes you feel that you're pretty special? What is it that makes you feel that you really have a gift to offer this world? What is it that makes you feel good about yourselves? Now, that's a good thing uh, as, we, as we see that we need to humble ourselves before the God of the universe. We also have been given gifts by this God, and so uh, we're thankful for those gifts. We do have a role and a place to play in this world, and yet sometimes our ego can get out of control. What is it that's special about you that maybe makes you feel a little bit proud, if you will? File that in the back of your mind uh, and keep ruminating on that as we look into God's holy word right now. 
Today, what we're going to be doing is looking into the second dream that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had. You remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Joe looked into chapter two at the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And in that dream, he envisioned this tall statue. The head was of gold, the chest uh, and arms were of silver, the torso and thighs were of bronze, uh, the legs were of iron and the feet were of iron and clay. And we said that that, uh, that head of that statue um, referred to Nebuchadnezzar himself as he got the interpretation of that dream and Daniel gave it to him. The head, the gold, the mightiest part was Nebuchadnezzar himself. And so in Daniel 3, we saw that instead of uh, sort of being thankful to the God of the universe for elevating him to a high position, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, he went out and he built a statue to himself. And if you were listening last week, you remember that I misstated uh, the height of that statue. Sorry about that. I said it was 16 feet high. No, no, no. It was 90 feet high and nine feet wide. It was this phenomenally big statue that you could see for miles. He put it out in the plain of Dura so that everybody would come and bow down to him in his majesty. And so Nebuchadnezzar really uh, had an ego problem as many leaders in ancient times did. And hey, many leaders do today. Hey, all of us at one point have ego issues as we focus upon ourselves and, and the gifts that we have. Hey, I want to tell you, speaking of ego issues, about a friend of mine, his name is Jerry Lewis, and he helped us build uh, Willow Creek Church, uh, your daughter church, and uh, he's a fellow Californian, and he moved here about the same time that I did, and as we started the church, uh, he had been in the military, and now he worked for uh, Siemens uh, Martin Marietta, and uh, at that time, I'm not sure which, which company, but Jerry told me the story of when he was in flight training before uh, going to Vietnam. He was a helicopter pilot, and he had learned how to do the flight checks. He'd learned how to uh, do everything that was needed uh, to hover, to take off, to fly the traffic patterns around the airport there in, in Texas as he was training. And uh, then they had to go on a short five to 10 mile flight where they had to use the ground, uh, um, uh, the geography to navigate. And so they did that. Then they had to do a long one. And in that long hundred mile trip, uh, they went with somebody else in training, a fellow uh, pilot in training, and uh, they had to go a hundred miles. And so one would drive, fly one way and one would fly back the other way. So he was uh, the one to fly back and land back at the airport in Texas. And so when they were on the way back, there was something you have to do. Now, I'm not a pilot and I don't understand any of this, but those of you who are pilots do understand back then at least what they had to do was they had to set, uh, get the accurate barometric pressure uh, and then input that in the altimeter to come in at the proper altitude in the airport. And so uh, uh, the, the, the co-pilot uh, got that information from the, the tower, inputted it, and Jerry was coming in. And as he was coming in, as he was flying into the airport, there was another plane that was at the wrong, or another aircraft that was at the a wrong altitude and the protocol was, of course, that uh, uh, they were supposed to vector off and he was supposed to come right in. And that's exactly what he did. Well, when he landed, he landed the helicopter and the blades stopped uh, 
uh, moving, he noticed somebody striding toward him. And as he looked closer, he noticed he had a one star uh, on his jumpsuit. And he said to my friend Jerry, the one star general said, are you the one that flew that helicopter? And he said, you cut me off and I'm gonna make sure that you never get to fly again. Jerry noticed as he looked at his flight suit that he had his name Patton on there. It was General Patton, the great grandson or the grandson of General Patton of World War II. So Jerry's, Jerry's uh, pilot instructor uh, said, go back to your room and wait and I'll talk to you. And so he went and found out. Then he came back to Jerry and he said, don't worry, you're in the program. Uh, you didn't get kicked out. General Patton forgot to change his altimeter reading and he was at the wrong altitude. <laughs> Jerry learned a phenomenal lesson at that time. And I love it. He takes us back to Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. And so my friend Jerry learned an important lesson at that time is that even though he felt like like his life was at the mercy of someone else, as we often feel, uh, that we feel that we're at the mercy of events and circumstances, even like the C-19, we're not really, because our times are in God's hands. He learned another lesson that is very important that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn here and that we have to learn here too in this text. And that is this, that there is only one undisputed ruler in the universe that even though General Patton had a great name and a great pedigree and great personal accomplishments on himself, he could be wrong and was in that situation wrong. And as we have seen, even among our leaders today, uh, we see that they have made some wrong decisions. And so what Nebuchadnezzar had to learn was that there is one undisputed ruler of the universe and it is God and God alone. And that's where we as God's people find comfort, confidence, and power to live. Let me unpack this dream uh, quickly, and then there's some applications that I think will apply to us all that you can talk about as you have roast pastor for lunch today. Let's talk about it. Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It starts out in verses one through three, where what, what uh, we see here is that in actuality, in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is a co-author with Daniel, it's amazing. Uh, and he writes this first part. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn in this summary of, uh, that starts out this, this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that there was one unquestionable ruler in the universe and it was not him. He had to learn that. He had to learn by personal experience because you see, the reality is, is that he would be the head of the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire would come after that, then the Medo-Persian Empire after that, then the Greek Empire after that, Alexander the Great would die, and the Romans would come into ascendancy. What all rulers 
have to understand is that God is the supreme king of heaven and earth. That is the essence of the idea of the sovereignty of God. Now, how in the world did God teach that reality to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, that's, that's the, the second dream, and it's, it's fascinating. Look down at verse 4, if you have your Bibles open. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in, in, in bed, the, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him of the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole world. The leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and, and, it was, uh, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in the bed and behold a watcher, I love this, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him, catch this, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is the decree of the watchers the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. <clears throat> because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Whew. Wow. Well, that was, that was the dream. Now, what was the interpretation of the dream? And obviously we know if you've read this, that Daniel has the interpretation, not because he is a follower of the holy gods, but because Daniel is the appointed one of the holy God, the supreme king of the universe. So I'm not going to read it, but if you have your Bibles, look at verses 19 through 27, because what happens and the interpretation of this dream is simply this, that Nebuchadnezzar is that tall tree. Nebuchadnezzar is that tall tree. 
and under his branches, under his leadership, under his kingdom, the nations have come. They have found shelter. They have found support. They have found nurture. They've found an economy. They've been able to trust his leadership, but he would lose his powers. He would lose his rule. He would lose his reign. The tree would be cut off, the, the branches lopped off, and he would become literally a beast in the field, enduring the cold and wet and heat, and he would be eating grass like the animals. Now let that picture sink into your mind for just a minute. A human being, a human being, a ruler at the pinnacle of success, being cast out of, of, of his incredible palace, incredible power, and losing his mind to the point where he was like an unreasoning animal, eating grass, his nails growing long, his hair growing long and matted. What a it's really a disturbing image if you think about it. But that image is given to us so that we can understand some of the dichotomy between the rulers on earth and the ruler in heaven. And I want you to keep that image in your mind because what God wants to teach us is the importance of understanding that he is the undisputed ruler of all and all rulers on the earth, all earthly rulers, every one of us. Every leader is like an animal eating grass in the sight of the living God. And he wanted to teach that lesson to Nebuchadnezzar and all the ancient kings of, of the past. And so it's important to understand that as ego uh, pitched as he was, uh, he was brought down to size. This is how it was filled in verses 28 through 33. This is what happened. It was a year later. Amazing. A year later. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar had written the other parts. Daniel had no doubt put it in its final form under the inspiration of the Spirit and put it into the text of Scripture. But now Daniel's writing, and he says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is this not Babylon the Great? which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, verse 33, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. Oh, there he was. 
There was Nebuchadnezzar walking one night on the palace roof. That was probably one of the coolest places you could be out in the desert area. And as he was walking around, he looked on the roof and he saw the several ornate temples that <clears throat> he had built to his gods. Incredible structures on the top of, 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 the, of the palaces. And then he saw the hanging gardens that he'd made for his wives. The, the hanging gardens were considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I can't even picture it, but picture the most incredible gardens, Lou Gardens that we have here in Orlando perhaps, but up high um, and, and watered by who knows what pipe system. It was, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And then he looked at the walls around Babylon. The walls around Babylon were so wide that a chariot could ride on them drawn by four horses. That's how much security he thought he had. That's how much of, 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 a, of, a, of a glorious king he believed that he was. And God took it from him like that, in a heartbeat. Why? Because there is only one God. There was only one ultimate ruler and all earthly rulers maintain their leadership at the will, at the presence of God. Well, let's look at his restoration because this story does have a good ending as it teaches a story. Verses 34 through 37, we see uh, that at the end of these days, Nebuchadnezzar is writing again. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever and forever. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter there, but I'm going to let you read it. But he came to the understanding of the most important point. He came to his senses and he saw that there was only one king and it was God and it was not him. Now, how do we, how do we take a message like this and apply it to ourselves, living uh, really almost 3,000 years later. This was 600, year, 600 BC, 600 years before the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and here we are at 2020. How do we apply this text to us? Well, there's some warnings, and there are some very important perspectives uh, for us to learn, for the ancient kings to learn, and then brings it to our modern times. So let me make some applications. First of all, I want you to note by way of application that this text applies to all leaders at all times in every position of authority, that God is the most high, that his dominion is an everlasting dominion, as it says in Daniel 4, 34 through 35. It is his kingdom that endures from generation to generation, and all inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. I love this. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say, stay his hand and say, what have you done? This is a very important lesson for God's people to understand, but also for all leaders in every position at every level to understand that their leadership is subservient to the leadership of the Most High God, to the one true God. All leaders of all religion, all thought leaders on TED Talks, all teachers in all schools, all administrators, all business CEOs, 
all governors, all, all, all mayors, all city leaders, uh, keep, keep taking it down, all county leaders, all presidents, all prime ministers, all heads of households, all of us, every one of us, is under the supreme leadership of the, of the God of the universe. He is one of a kind, sui generis. There is only one God and one ultimate ruler, and we live and breathe and have our, mean, our being before him. This is so important. And it's important for us as we think of what's going on in this day, in this prophetic call for all leaders to understand. This morning, I was reading through the Psalms and I try to read a Psalm and a proverb every day, at least as uh, in my daily appointment with God. And I read Psalm 2, verse 10 today. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son and he will, uh, that he not become angry, for his wrath may soon quickly be kindled. The Jews were in captivity during this time. They were a people stripped of temple and stripped of their own king, but who was in charge? <laughs> the king of the universe, our great God. I don't know what you are experiencing right now uh, as, as, we, as we get to this point uh, with the C-19 experience that we're going through, and we're beginning to open up in our state, I think more progressive than some of the other states, and I think it's great that we're opening up. Uh, I'm great that we're stepping out as we follow the God of the universe. But one thing we have seen across our nation is some civil disobedience. We have seen some governors, some mayors, some leaders stepping outside the bounds of law even. And uh, what we all need to be reminded of as we think of this time is that God is large and in charge. I know that there are some students are not able to walk through their, their regular graduation uh, services, and I hate that for you guys, but well, it is what it is, and we can't change this, but God is in charge. I know that there's some of you who are wondering, is my job going to be there when I get back? I know, I know. What's our ministry going to be like? What's the future? I don't know. You don't know. None of us knows. Somebody asked me what our ministry was going to be doing in the future. I said, I don't know, and I'm the head of it. I still don't know. Uh, we're taking it day by day by day, but I do know as someone has well said, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. And this is based in this text to understand that God is the supreme king of heaven and earth. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn that. All earthly rulers need to learn that. Hey, but there's more. There's more because the king of the universe has come and he's been fulfilled in his coming. God was supreme king back then. And Jesus has come and fulfilled Psalm 2 and the true rulership. If, if we thought at one time that God was way out there, well, we see in the coming of Jesus, no, he's right here. How did Jesus begin his ministry? I love it. Matthew 4, 17. It says, after Jesus was in the wilderness of, tem uh, of temptation, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand, at hand, nearby, here. 
And it's so important for us to understand that this Daniel prophetic teaching that God was the supreme king of heaven and earth back then is true for all kings at all time uh, until Jesus comes. But when Jesus comes, we see that the kingdom of God was here all along, but it has come in its freshness and its fullness. And the crowds followed Jesus. It, a lot of people wondered, is he really the one? Even John the Baptist, Matthew 11, uh, that Jesus, we see that John the Baptist had, had his doubts after a period of time because there was suffering and there was difficulty in following Jesus. He was put in prison. And, and that begins to shake us. These long-term sufferings, the chronic suffering can make our faith waver. It did John the Baptist. But John the Baptist asked the disciples for word and Jesus sent back the word. He said, go and tell John. Tell him what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Guys, we live in fascinating and important times as we understand that yes, God has been the king through all of history since the day of creation. But in Jesus, he has come near. He has fulfilled the reality, the promise that he would come and he has come and the gospel has been accomplished. We live in a time of fulfillment where Jesus has come and fulfilled the law. He has taken our curse. He was perfect for us and through faith and trust in him, his righteousness is imputed to us. Isn't that a great thing? And so we live in a time of fulfillment where we see that the reign of Christ is here. His kingdom is here. Orangewood, Orangewood, this is such an important time in the life of our church. Our new pastor is coming. We have the reality of a staff that has worked so well together. We have elders and deacons and servants that have done so much behind the scenes. The coming of our new pastor is, uh, is really the beginning of our emergence from this C-19 experience. It's amazing how it's going to come together in a powerful way. God has a, a plan and a future for us as a church. Um, what, what a wonderful time it is for us to understand that we are not the victims of circumstances, but we are God's people who are here and ready to, to, to understand that we can step out in risk and in faith to advance Christ's kingdom here in the greater Orlando area. That's our calling. That's our vision. That's our opportunity to advance Christ and his kingdom now. And so we live in a time that is in turmoil, but we're not in turmoil. We don't have to be because our king is here. He leads his church. He leads us through his word, through the spirit, through the sacraments, through his leaders, duly ordained for us. And so Jesus is in charge and his kingdom is now. Look with anticipation of what is going to happen in the next few months. It's gonna be an exciting time as our church moves ahead. But wait, there's more because Jesus is coming again. And so this whole fulfillment of God's leadership really has the great consummation when Jesus comes back again. So lastly, I just wanna tell you Revelation 20 verses 11, 15. 
I saw a great white throne, John said, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they'd done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, we see that they were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is what energizes us as God's people to be concerned for the lost that don't know Jesus. Because he has already come, but he's coming again. And that energizes us in this intervening time uh, to, to be there for those all around us here who need to know of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is how it ends. Listen to this. <clears throat> and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these are words are trustworthy and true. Take away. Here we go. What do we do with the reality that God it illustrates his sovereign power in the Old Testament under all kings, that Jesus has come in fulfillment of the reality that the kingdom of God is here, but we're not seeing it in all of its fullness. No, it resides in the church and flows through the ministry of the church, but one day Jesus will come again and establish his kingdom visibly on this planet. Until then, what do we do as God's people? Well, we recognize that he is the supreme king of heaven and earth. First of all, beloved of God, bow in worship before the God of the universe. If you can bow, if you can't bow, bow your head. Bow before him. C.S. Lewis <clears throat> made an interesting point. He said, understand that the position of the body affects the condition of the soul. And so bowing before the great king is one way to get our minds and our hearts prepared for the fact that God is the supreme king of heaven and earth. And Jesus <clears throat> is coming again. The second application is for us to fear no human leader. Don't fear. Don't fear. Let's, as we move into the future, don't fear leaders or events that come. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord, his way will be made straight. Like my friend Jerry learned in, in, in Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not of himself. It's not that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Our God is sovereign and he is leading our steps. So don't live in fear. 
live in faith and great hope and trust as we step out into the future. Third, pray for our government and business leaders. Pray for all of our leaders. I really believe that this is a prophetic moment. Pray that our leaders would understand that before the God of the universe, they are no more powerful than animals eating grass. Pray that all of our leaders at every level would come to some sense of the sovereignty of God and the accountability they have for the good of the people before the God of the universe. Pray that they would learn the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn and that we have to learn and then serve boldly and expectantly. As we get ready to open up, uh, we're gonna take it in steps. I know, the elders of this church have a great deal of wisdom. We're gonna take it step by step, but this is a time for us in anticipation as we bow our heads before him, as we understand who really is the king, as we pray for our leaders to understand who is the king, as we fear no other people, we step out boldly to the commission of our king, who said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Are you with me? That's where we wanna go. We wanna go with Jesus, the King, the undisputed ruler of all. You take it to heart, and so will I. Let's pray. Our great God, we come before you, thanking you for this passage in Daniel chapter four that reminds us how you and only you have the ability to humble those in high positions of leadership. And so we pray that in fact, that you would bolster our leaders' humility, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them thoughtfulness as they, as they plan for us, as they make decisions for us. On the other hand, Lord, we pray that you would fill Dr. Groff with great wisdom and strength as he prepares to come and lead us with our elders. Lord, we pray for our leaders that you would uphold them in a powerful way, that you would be honored and glorified in this church. But at the end of the day, Lord, energize all of us. Prepare all of us that we could serve you so that when you come, come back, Lord Jesus, you will find faith and hope and trust. Do a great work in greater Orlando and do it through us, we pray in your strong and holy name. Amen.